survive and advance. If you are able to stay in the biz, quote unquote, long enough to just make ends meet, right? And I don't want to anyone to live a miserable life, you know, but if you're able to just be in the business and in the industry long enough to get enough looks, to take enough shots, to get enough chances, I think that is your best opportunity to be able to move up in the business and become successful. The American public spends more hours than we'd like to admit watching television and film on an array of devices. Crime dramas, comedies, reality television, and more suck us in every week for hours on end. Some of us know a little something about how these shows get made, but most of us don't. I used to be a complete stranger to this world, and there's still plenty I don't understand. But after working in a few writers' rooms, I'm starting to see how this world works. Information often comes in wisps and whispers, and sometimes I'm left with more questions than I came in with. It's those questions that we'll attempt to answer in this podcast, tapping all layers of the industry to help us make sense of the open secrets of Hollywood. I'm Dr. Nikita T. Hamilton, and this is The Whisper Network. Justin Chang. I'm going to read the long list of accolades that he has. So Justin is an award-winning showrunner who has produced hit series for Amazon, Fox, and YouTube. Most recently, he was the supervising producer on Amazon's Ritual. Chang began his career with YouTube Originals, launching channels like Vice, Awesomeness TV, and Tastemade. He led the Fox Facebook partnership to produce At the Buzzer, the comedy series The Fighter and the Kid, as well as the docuseries Z Dream, the highest rated program on Fox's Speed Network. Recently, he was featured in Forbes and named to the Asian American Journalist Association's list of inspirational figures for Asian Pacific Heritage Month. Through his work and production company J School, he aims to empower underrepresented groups to tell their own stories in their own voices. Welcome, Justin. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So I've known Justin since I was an undergrad, and he was a few years younger than me, also an undergrad. Um, <laughs> and we would hang out in the cultural centers um, and, and be super cultural and multicultural. Um, so tell us where you're from originally. Well, first of all, I just think it's funny that I truly saw Nikita like every day or every other day. <laughs> as I was a college student and that's just an amazing story to tell to be like (laughs) you know 10 years later essentially to be still friends and also Mm -hmm. in the same industry and like doing stuff like this together I think is an exceedingly rare thing but you always hold it down for the people you came up with yeah and I think that you know hopefully a lot of what we talk about today I think will reflect that also um I grew up in a remarkably unremarkable place, as I describe it. (laughs) Uh, I grew up in a place called San Bernardino, Uh which, you know, unfortunately, most people only now at this point because of the mass shooting that happened a Mm -hmm. couple years ago. Um, But, you know, it really isn't known for much in general. I mean, beyond that, if you dig deeper, it's, it's truck stops, it's shipment centers, 
it's literal rock quarries. I mean, mm-hmm. like they pound the rock that they use to make cinder blocks and freeway barriers. Like there's stacks of them, you know, in these open fields in the, in the place that I grew up in. And, you know, because of that, um, and the reason why we were there is, you know, my mom is a dentist and she was a single mom and a small business owner of color and you know now i joke all the time that like people love to have their asian dentist people people love to have asian women as their dentist because they got a little soft touch on their gums but like at the time in los angeles for her you know for her being her own boss and owning her own place like the only place she could afford to really um buy a practice was out in san Bernardino. Mm. and i also think that for her she always wanted to be at a place where she could actually help people who needed things like dental care, which mm-hmm. we don't have to get into, but you know, it's just something that people don't really think about all the time. And they view it as a luxury when it actually like can really it's impact your health. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean like like ran- side note, like, you know, people get heart attacks because they don't like brush <laughs> their teeth enough, you know. Yeah. Um, so I was out there and you know, it was a place where you sort of need an outlet, you know, and for me being an only child and growing up with a single mom, like I did a lot of writing mm-hmm. and I did a lot of every opportunity I could to perform, you know, whether it would be stand up comedy classes at a community college or school mm-hmm. plays, you know, I was here for it. Um, and I think that really shaped me. OK, so like when you were growing up, did you know that your current job was a job? No, 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 no. I mean, you got to realize where I grew up, it's... Well, first, let, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. why don't you tell people what exactly your job is? <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Because okay, I think right. that's the thing with, like, especially when people hear producer, they have, like, no clue what it means, but they just know, like, Dick Wolf's sure. been doing it since they were born. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, for me, I'm one of those people where I like to do it all, mm-hmm. but I don't like to label myself as like a writer slash director slash producer you know because i just feel like that's like a really pretentious thing and you know for me like the broadest term i can use to describe myself is a showrunner Mm -hmm. or a filmmaker Mm -hmm. you know whether it be on a documentary level or scripted narrative stuff like comedies or drama you know i love it all Mm -hmm. Uh, and so for me um the simplest way to describe what I do is like making the show happen. Mm -hmm. So if it's a show that needs writing, then I will write it and I'll oversee the actual physical production of us filming it Mm -hmm. and the casting, the performance of those actors that we cast, the editing of it. And then once it goes out, the the marketing of it really Mm -hmm. managing it overall, sort of like a, the way I describe it to people who are not in the industry is it's very much like being a project manager mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And depending on the project, you know, you also play a role as one of the like people actually executing a certain component of it. Yeah. Um, so like if you're a writer producer, you write. And then like I just mentioned, you manage that whole process. If you're a director producer, you know, you're you're receiving someone else's writing or if it's documentary, for example, you're receiving you know, the outline of the story that you're going after and then you're going out in the field and shooting it with some folks. But still, again, you know, over 
the overarching process you're still sort of managing. Right. Um, so it, when I was young and, and look, I'll, I'll admit, I'm ashamed to admit this. Like it took me some time even in the industry to fully understand all these terms. No, but that's good. Like that's yeah. the thing that I think that a lot of people don't understand. They're, they don't know exactly. They don't know what exactly these jobs mean. They yeah. don't know what they all entail. And so, you know, when, when did you figure out like, this is kind of what I want to do. I want to, I want to show run. I want to executive produce. Like when, when did that happen for you? Yeah. Look like, you know, I, I always describe where I grew up because I think it helps inform the way that I thought about things. Mm -hmm. And like, we all grew up with the internet. So there was a way to learn a lot of these things, mm -hmm. but in terms of like role models, you know, there isn't even local TV stations in my hometown because it's just like close enough to LA that everything you get is like the local news set in LA mm -hmm. or local public access, whatever. But it's still like two hours away from Los Angeles, right? So like you and when I grew up, there were no freeways that connected my hometown to like the rest of everything else. So like it was a trek to get anywhere. So mm -hmm. you'd be like watching TV and like they'd be talking about stuff that's happening in like Hollywood or downtown LA, like whatever fancy event is happening. And that is like a far cry from where I was, you know, mm -hmm. so it was thoroughly unrelatable and I there was no way for me to access these things there's not there's very few even local radio stations in that area um so it, it's that weird kind of dead zone where because of that you know the things that you saw that you could be able to do were you know more like I was liking it to like working at, at a bank but not like a corporate bank, right? Like not like <laughs> investment banking or work on a Wall Street, but like when you saw people's older brothers who had like the entry level BMWs, mm -hmm. they were bank tellers at these branches, you know, and like that's kind of the way that I thought about my life in a sense, you know, like this kid I grew up with who was my best friend, like he's literally a carpenter in the same hospital that he was born in now, hmm. and he had two kids by the time I went off to college, he'd already had a second kid, mm -hmm. you know, so I, um, I didn't know any of it, but what I did know is this, like when you are in the situation that I grew up in where you're like an only child, a single mom who's always working because she's trying to provide for you and you are in a place where there aren't a lot of exciting things happening, you know, you you spend a lot of time watching movies and television mm -hmm. because it's a form of escape. It's, yeah. it's a way to, to, to venture somewhere else. And in a lot of ways, you know, when you're a family of two, it's like your holidays, you know, people, <laughs> I don't know if people realize this, that they have smaller families, but like, you know, you have the dinner, but then you have like a ton of dead time, <laughs> you know? And then, you know, I actually saw a lot of movies, I would go out with my mom a lot to go watch movies on Thanksgiving day or Christmas day. Mm -hmm. And so it was like this really integral part of my experience growing up. And, and it always made me happy. Um, you know, I was, I make this joke. It's just weird part of my personality. Like I can fall asleep anywhere. Yeah. No, like, that's me. I could fall asleep anywhere, Yeah, but I'll never fall asleep in a movie theater. And frankly, I'll never walk out of a movie theater, even if the movie's bad like it's unthinkable for me to walk out of a movie theater because for me like that's an experience that i'm locked into mm -hmm. from like the start of the previews until you know the end of the credits so it was something that i always wanted to do but it was like saying like i want to be a firefighter or a or an airplane pilot right mm -hmm. 
it's like something you say as a kid because you don't realize how practical they are. And the irony of that statement is that being a firefighter or an airplane pilot was probably more practical than the place that I grew up in and yeah. the, the family that I grew up in than it was. Your to job be a is filmmaker. definitely not the practical job. <laughs> yeah. I want you to know that's not yeah. the practical job. So what what was the what was your route to get to where you are now? I think a lot of people want to know how they get to your job or like what the route looks like. And we know that routes look different for different people, but yeah. what was your route to where you are now? Yeah. You know, my mom wanted me, I think the the role, the job that made most sense for the things that I liked doing in my mom's eyes was to be a teacher okay. because I could be in front of an audience and study things that were interesting. Mm-hmm. And if you really think about what teachers do, it's a lot of it is professional storytelling. Mm-hmm. You know, they're giving a lecture, they're writing, they're evaluating other people's writing. And so, um, you know, the one of the most formative moments of my life, like life-changing moment was, you know, I got into our college, mm-hmm. which was the University of Pennsylvania and Ivy League college. And I'm very proud to say that mm-hmm. um, without hopefully sounding boastful because... You're was, not sounding boastful. Our school is great. <laughs> yeah. Look, I was like so <laughs> proud. I mean, like I just didn't think I'd ever be able to reach those heights and it yeah. like was a transformative experience and so when i got there I, I you know i learned that there was this thing called being a professor getting mm-hmm. a phd and it was essentially the most elevated version of being a teacher and i was like wow like they get to not just lecture in front of 20 kids or 30 kids in a class they're lecturing in front of 200 people they're mm-hmm. touring the country giving le- you know giving these presentations and they get paid to write books. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, so amazing that, that there was a pathway to being a professional storyteller. And um, I, I went down that path. You know, I like most of my friends, including you, mm-hmm. which I'm sure we'll talk about, <laughs> you know, followed that path when I was in college. I won an undergraduate fellowship called the Mellon Mays Fellowship, mm-hmm. which was supposed to, you know, get me into a PhD program and essentially fund me mm-hmm. to pursue that life. And at some point in time, you know, just with the exposure of being around a lot of these great peers, you mm-hmm. know, in the place we, we went to college, like I started to really understand that there was a possibility of working in this thing called Hollywood, you yeah. know, which to me was like a sign, right? It was like literally just. Yeah. Or know, just this like thing over there. It's a thing over there. And yeah. you're like, that's cool. And they make all the TV and <laughs> yeah. movies I watch, but like, I don't know where it is. And it's not, it doesn't feel like. Uh, like a tangible thing yeah. it's just like out there exactly yeah. it, it it might as well have been the moon i might as well have been <laughs> saying i was gonna be an astronaut and go to the moon and um i took an internship uh worked really really hard to get an internship at a, a it's this is so random right? i was just looking for any opportunity to spend some time in the business and i got an internship at a regional theater mm-hmm. doing their production of cats i love cats can i tell you how much i love cats people make fun of cats but i'm like mr mistopheles was the man like what are we talking about right now yeah i mean justin's not as into cats i like cats you might be on an island for that one (laughs) i mean a critically acclaimed island there are a lot of people who seem to love cats i've got taste it is obscure like those that job is obscure have you ever if you've ever listened to 
or watched Cats. It is obscure. And it was, a, and again, this is a regional theater that was on the polar opposite side of Southern California for me. Mm-hmm. I had to drive um, like five hours and 180 miles every day. Mm-hmm. I, it's, it's absurd. I, I'll bring it up later and we can like get the, the, the number right. But it was literally like I had to drive like hundreds of miles every day round trip just to do this internship. And as long as it paid, I was like, I'll do it because, you know, like it's it'll cover the cost of gas. And I was, you know, getting up at 6 a.m. on the road and come back at like waiting out traffic and coming back at like 1, 2 a.m. Like cops are stopping me being like, son, what are you doing driving on the road at like 90 miles per hour at 2 a.m.? Because I was just trying to get home in time to you know get a couple hours of sleeping and do it all over again. And um Every time I sat in that car, I said to myself, you know, two things. One, this is going to be a great elevator pitch one day mm-hmm. about my work ethic, right? It's just yeah. a great story to tell. I'm telling it now, for example. And two, you know, it gave me a ton of time to workshop aloud to myself a lot of the stories I wanted to be telling and sort of to have that dialogue with myself. And sure enough, the next year, I saw an executive from Disney speak at my college, at our college, and a, a line out the door of people waiting to talk to him afterwards to pitch him to sell themselves on getting a job at the Walt Disney Company. Mm-hmm. And I got up there and I told him my story and I told him I commuted from San Bernardino to Thousand Oaks every day for musical theater of cats. <laughs> and his eyes just lit up. You know, he could tell he was sort of nodding at everyone else being like, yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll help you out. Sure. No problem. You know, like. And then he heard me say this and his eyes were like, wait, what? He just double take. And he was like, here's my email. Here's my phone number. Call me mm-hmm. when I get back in the office and let's talk. And he helped me get my first internship in the real biz. Mm-hmm. Right? In the, not, not just, you know, cats right not just being in a creative space for the for the sake of it like you gotta stop being... talking down cats man it's, yeah, it was no, impressive right? Angela there was it was impressive me, man. <laughs> but like i actually got a job at the mouse house like, yeah at the walt disney company headquarters and that man to this day i'm still in touch with we talk all the time mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a, a very very kind man named tim mcneil mm-hmm. who many people in the business specifically men of color no and it's just incredible to to think that that's like that's was my foot in the door and that we Mm. still have that relationship yeah no that's amazing so it's kind of just you just kept going from there yeah and then from there you know the irony was like the whole time i was at the disney company everyone kept on talking about this thing called youtube Mm -hmm. every executive who i saw speak was like talking about YouTube and they were talking about it as a an as a proxy for digital media. Mm-hmm. It was the only digital media player at the time. At the time, yeah. For for, for context, so YouTube launched in 2005, mm-hmm. I was an intern in 2010. Okay. And so um I I realized a kind of like I'd gotten an offer at the end of the summer uh to come back to Disney full time. And then, you know, I just kept on thinking to myself when you're at the number one media company in the world Mm -hmm. and everyone is talking about another company, go to that company Mm -hmm. because it's an opportunity to learn something that other people don't. 
And a lot of people have to start out at the bottom and be an assistant in the business. And there's nothing wrong with that. But Mm -hmm. for me, I've never been successful in a place where I couldn't push the envelope, where Mm -hmm. I had to just take orders and do do as I was told. Mm -hmm. I just knew, you know, you had to to do what's going to set yourself up for success. And I knew I couldn't do that um, and really be able to make it, quote unquote, in this business. And so I was like, look, like, I think this thing called YouTube hell or high water i'm gonna find a way to get there mm-hmm. and in this kind of promethean way you know like take the fire that was digital media come back to los angeles and maybe i'll be able to leverage it into something higher and like you know there there are so few things in this life that work out as you plan it mm-hmm. and god knows my life a lot of it has not worked out that mm-hmm. way but that was like one thing where i was like i made the call i took the risk and sure enough like after spending two years at YouTube, in which I worked on a lot of cool stuff, I came back to LA, and I was offered a su- uh, I was offered a senior level position, so rather I was offered a senior producer position at Fox, and it and I resembled everything that they wanted at the time. You know, mm-hmm. like I checked boxes for them. I was young, I was diverse, mm-hmm. and I knew digital media, and um, you know. I was able to kind of rise that position within a short period of time by just finding the right fast tracks. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I think that's like one of like it's a definite kudos to you with that, and I like appreciate <laughs> like because I remember talking to you when yeah. I was like I was like Justin, this whole PhD thing, like I'm gonna finish the PhD, <laughs> but this is not my, the move for me. Like I want to write, and I remember like I was home. I was I'm from Miami. I was home yeah. in Florida, and you and I got on the phone, and I was like, I'm looking at agencies, like I'm trying to get like these jobs, and you were like, bump that. You were <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. you were like, don't do that, nah. and I was like, this is what I'm getting told is the route to what I want. You, like this is what I'm being told is how I get to the writer's room and you were pretty like adamantly against it and you were like Nikita you can do what you want but I don't think that's what you should do a couple things there I mean and I I really want to emphasize here if that is the path for you and you think you could be successful playing the agency oh yeah definitely do that and a lot of people have been successful doing that including folks at Atlanta yeah yeah yeah. if I had known that's what I wanted to do I think if if I had come out of college knowing exactly what I wanted to do that would have been the perfect route for me but it like I didn't yeah (laughs) and therefore I don't think it was so so for context here when I was at Disney Mm -hmm. they said okay well the logical next step from being an intern is to be an assistant you get on someone's desk, either the department I worked at at Disney, or you go to a talent agency, CAA, WME, Paradigm, UTA. UTA. You work in the Gersh. mail room. Yeah. Gersh. You work in the mail room, and then you get promoted to someone's desk. Mm-hmm. Or, sorry, you work in the mail room, then you become a floater, which is literally you walking down the halls, and anyone says, you I want you to do this go get my laundry and you just do it or you get someone to then hire you on their desk and you answer their phones and help them with their emails and schedule times and get their coffee and for me I was like I can't do that I just I just can't Justin doesn't know how to do a fluff and fold so he was like I can't I can't I can't do it and like and this is not coming from a place of elitism like my mom my first job, she made sure that my first job was cleaning toilets. Mm-hmm. It's like literally, it was like, 
no, before you get a job somewhere else, you will clean the toilets in my office. Mm-hmm. You will you will wash the counters. Like you will come in on weekends and do this because you will know the value of hard work, know the value of of menial work, you mm-hmm. know, and like um and understand how that builds character, you know. And so it's not that I don't value those things, but it was one of those things for me where I was like first of all, like I lived a very unconventional life up to that point mm-hmm. in terms of where where I had arrived. You know, like I never thought I'd go into Ivy League school. I never thought I'd be working in entertainment. And so I was like, I think I need to think about this problem unconventionally. But also like I worked hard to get to an Ivy League school. I'm like, you telling me I'm I'm about to bust my butt at an Ivy League school, graduate and then I'm gonna have to be fetching coffee. But that's a lot. For a like lot of thirty thousand dollars a year. But a lot of those agencies, they're taking a lot of Ivy exactly. League top tier people. Exactly. And I, I do think that there's such a, there is a benefit to that track because they come out with such a network. Because yeah. all of those people who they're yeah. assistants with then go off and they're like they're executives and things in other places. Right. So I do feel like there, there are things to be gained from it because I talk to people now who they know so many people because they were at agencies. Right. But it really has to do with like what your goal is i do think age has to ha, plays into it yeah. and i remember coming out and when i interviewed with an agency and um they were like are you sure because i had a phd in progress on my resume mm-hmm. at the time so most of these people were not even calling me back period because they were just like what is this girl trying to do yeah, 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 yeah. and then when they finally <laughs> did i had to be like listen and they're like are you sure this is what? i'm like i want to be an assistant i want to learn i need to gain this knowledge i was like i'm not kanye you all i'm not telling you to put make me an agent tomorrow like that's not what i'm here for but i also was like what is the fastest way to get me into the room you know what is the fastest way for me to get into the writer's room and i was like i don't think this is the fastest route for me at this present moment in time and and i think what's important to remember from that and all these pathways Mm -hmm. is you know for me i've always valued having friends Mm -hmm. real friends uh, that if they took that path i would be able to ask them for help or for favors in the future Mm -hmm. and if they were better able to navigate the agency world or had more connections because it worked in that world i could always ask them for an introduction and be you know essentially one person away right. one degree away from those from those connections and i and i look like you know given the way that we grew up and and the given the way that we came up through this educational system rather i think that we benefited a lot also from having uh, being able to trust people like that mm-hmm. you know like nikita and i are actually friends to be clear <laughs> right like nikita and i will hang out and like talk about dumb stuff and like will metaphorically like you know lend a cup of sugar to each other mm-hmm. and i think that i'm i feel very blessed that you know not everyone has these experiences not even has experiences in these schools a lot of people come out of these schools and feeling very jaded about like you know the real connections you make but i felt like i came out really believing in sh- strong interpersonal connections in a way that honestly I probably had never felt before because I didn't have friends who had the same dreams as I did growing up. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, knowing that I-, I kind of just, I took a bet on the fact that my pathway was going to be best for me. Other people were taking another path, but you know, there's a line from Flannery O'Connor 
everything rises must converge. Like eventually when we were all at a place of legitimacy in the business, we would all be able to like meet with each other, Mm -hmm. re-meet with each other and be able to work together. And I think that's what's happening now. Like most of the people I work with now are people who I actually in some way, shape or form, the connections I formed were through college or through my Disney internship or through my time at my first job at YouTube. Mm -hmm. So that that's all to say just like you know like you can either be the person to work there or you can be someone's friend (laughs) you're like either way you're going to tap into this this network and and to just clarify i am currently an assistant i am an assistant (laughs) to a showrunner so i am i am writers room adjacent but i was like what is the quickest way to that job and and for me it was it was it was skipping the agency route which is which is different again to, to, to to like define some terms here yeah i would not discourage someone from necessarily that kind of role yeah because you are exposed and have have you know opportunity to see things in a way that um and learn things in a way that others don't it's It's not very different it's not just like answering emails and catching coffee that might be part of it but Mm -hmm. like you're also exposed to these really talented people and make connections with them yourself my writing partner was dan Harmon's Mm -hmm. writing assistant on community Mm -hmm. and i feel like the skills that he learned as a writer uh, are so were so invaluable from you know a, a I'll, I'll be careful here because dan Harmon is very much a controversial <laughs> figure right now but mm-hmm. certainly a writer who has a very distinct style right. that is shown to be very successful mm-hmm. yeah no definitely and um and just to kind of explain like a showrunner's assistant is the person who is the assistant to the head of the show, but they're usually executive producer, oftentimes they're the head writer, and um, they you're dealing with the myriad of responsibilities that they have, which Justin kind of laid out with what he does, but they're the ones who are leading the writer's room, they're talking to production, they're dealing with post, um, and you know, even in putting music, costumes, makeup, everything the showrunner <laughs> kind of touches, and when you're in, my end goal is to be a showrunner, so I love my job, and I call it I call it boss bitch training camp because my <laughs> showrunner, she's a woman and she's amazing. And so, um, you know, God, I'm so glad you curse. I've been, I've been dying to curse on the show and I've been like avoiding things. I've been keeping like, my show I've been, like, PG-13. Busting my butt. B-U-T-T butt. You know, you can like... do whatever you want. This is, this is, you can curse if you like. But, um, and I said that to her, I was like, listen, I want to be you one day. Yeah. I'm called, this is boss bitch training camp. And she was like, cool. <laughs> Um, so I, and I appreciate that. I love being in this position and I've been a writer's assistant before I was a writer's assistant on season two of Atlanta and I learned so much in that room and there's such great people. And then getting to be the showrunner's assistant, I'm like, I'm now getting to see every aspect of the job that I want to one day have. And that is so beneficial to me. And I don't think I would have got the same benefit from being an assistant at an agency when I could jump to this this, being this kind of assistant as quickly as possible. And by the way, commentary on how small the world is. And again, making friends, you were a writer's assistant on a show that was starred and written and directed, at least in partly by Donald Glover, Mm -hmm. who was first cast on Community. Yeah. Dan Harmon's show Mm -hmm. for NBC. And he, Dan Harmon discovered him by Donald writing for a show called 30 Rock, which was part of NBC's comedy block at the time. And it's amazing to trace the dots of some of these things because everyone is really only one or two degrees separated away 
when you really think about it. The world is very small. It's very <laughs> Hollywood is very small and very yeah. secretive. Yeah. Strangely. So another question, and this is kind of the one that everyone gets asked. So what is one piece of advice or information you wish you had known at the beginning of your career that you had to figure out on your own along the way? Survive and advance. Okay. Explain. If you are able to stay in the biz, quote unquote, long enough to just make ends meet, mm-hmm. right? And I don't want to anyone to live a miserable life, you know, but if you're able to just be in the business and in the industry long enough to get enough looks, to take enough shots, to get enough chances, I think that is your best opportunity to be able to move up in the business and become successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always describe the business as a war of attrition. And in so many ways, you feel like if you're just able to survive long enough, and Jerry Seinfeld talks about this all the time, you know, you will be able to meet enough people that they'll, they'll give you a shot. You know, and sometimes all you need is a shot. Talent is universal. Opportunity is not. And what you're really looking for is that opportunity to show how good you really are. You know, while you've been honing your skills all this time, and you hear stories like Anthony Hopkins or Mike Rylance or even Ang Lee. I mean, Ang Lee was uh, living at home as a stay-at-home dad until he was 31. Mm-hmm. You know, like Mike, Mark Rylance is having an amazing career now but he was in theater for a long time before he became spielberg's go-to actor Mm -hmm. um so it's really interesting because that has things that you need to unpack you know when you think about the industry it's not always easy to survive in advance you know in the assistant game one of the things that was tough for me to 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 kind of grapple with in the assist in the assistant game is you know, you're not getting paid very much money. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people who are able to survive in advance are the people who come from more privileged economic right. backgrounds and are able to survive in advance. Play that war of attrition. People drop out and they're able to stay in the game long enough to then be promoted. Yeah. And I just knew I couldn't play that game because uh, I, I just don't have... They didn't come from the economic background to be able to have my my parents support me in that way yeah no i definitely don't have that i just i i told my yeah. mom i told my mom all the time that i'm one p- a paycheck away from the pole she does not <laughs> appreciate the joke <laughs> at all but it's like true because i'm always like oh this paycheck is small but like the plan is for it to pay off and i think you're right it's like if you can survive if you can find that roommate situation where you're paying the right amount and like you know i'm someone who just like side hustles and i know i'm jamaican (laughs) but i'm like the quintessential jamaican with like three jobs at any given time and it's because you know the money is not great on the assistant side and you kind of have to figure out how to make that work when you don't have someone else who's like supplementing your income um but you know you had kind of you had to do what made the most sense especially financially for you but also still get to your goal right and it's an expensive world to be in right Mm -hmm. you got to be able to take the meetings at soho house and then pay for the coffee to show that you respect the person you met with and that you know you're willing to do this decorum um to make them feel special like you have to be able to go to the club and like try to like meet with people there i mean Mm -hmm. it's not a place where business is done in, in these environments that are cheap you know and like there's some people who, thank God, do, you know, like are, are more humble. But a lot mm-hmm. of times you're in these places where what you're making is not matching what you have to pay. 
yeah to even be to in be in the space. game yeah, yeah to be yeah, in the game yeah. costs money so like the game be the game like you gotta do what you gotta do but if, if you if you can survive you will advance and mm-hmm. i think that uh, you know unfortunately and fortunately you know that's why you see a lot of people in the business who are kind of rewarded for mediocrity or failing up mm-hmm. because they're able to stay in the game long enough you know yeah do you feel like now where you're at that you have a good handle on what this industry is and how it how it works <sighs> have you That's have you conquered, one, the right? <laughs> <laughs> have I conquered the whisper network <laughs> i get to make this joke first <laughs> no one else can make a whisper joke anymore um no, I, I think that I feel like I'm in the game mm-hmm. and I know the game and I feel legit, you know, but at the same time, there are a lot of closed spaces that I still don't have access to and don't really know about. Again, I'm one degree away, mm-hmm. but it's just like knowledge is sometimes it, you know, I just don't know this is the way it, it operates until I'm there. You know, like I've recently been working within the the big film studio system on a project and I just don't think I realized how that worked. I've been very mm-hmm. pleasantly surprised by how it worked. Cause I've been very lucky to work with people who've created a really great culture and are, are, are um, very empowering to the creatives and the storytellers in the room. Good, good people. Like mm-hmm. I could have, I could have wound up in Brett Ratner's living room <laughs> just as easily. Right. But instead I'm, I'm, I'm winding up in a lot of places where I feel like, um, you know, there is a, a much safer environment. And mm-hmm. so I've been able to learn and admit that I'm learning and people be like, sure, you know, let me teach you. Mm-hmm. Um, not the front, but I don't feel like I am an outsider and I don't feel like I don't know what I'm doing. You mm-hmm. know, I definitely feel like I'm navigating, you know, as Jay-Z would put it, the room full of vultures. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, the goal of, why I want to start my own production company with J school. I mm-hmm. was like, you know, for me, I feel like I've learned how to do business the right way. And I've learned how to tell story the, to stories the right way. And a lot of people can only do one side of that. They know mm-hmm. the business side. They don't want anything to do with the creative. Maybe they do, but they don't know how to get there or they are on the creative side and they just hate business. Mm-hmm. But I like that cross section. Mm-hmm. The very first thing when I, when I learned all this vocabulary, the very first thing I wanted to be was a quote-unquote producer. Mm-hmm. I met this guy named Don Hahn, who's a legendary producer at Disney. And I was like, you are at the cross-section of business and content, and that's what I want to do. And so, you know, running this production company, what, you know, something we could talk about is like, my, my goal, as you read in that bio, is to empower people to tell their own stories in their own voice. Because mm-hmm. the one thing that we, I think we all need help navigating now, we're at this interesting point in time where like every underrepresented group lgbt women people of color are sort of we like people want to make money off of us in a way that's never yeah. done before and it's, it's, it's you know you can probably say this more than i can like in the black community that sort of always happened yeah but for like asian americans <laughs> like it's not often people have been wanting to tell our stories <laughs> until recently yeah. but like all these white people are like trying to do that now and, mm-hmm. you, and you ask yourself you know I'll take one example and this is not me taking a shot. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to make it seem like I'm taking a shot here. It, it just is the facts of what's happening and it's peculiar, you know, like the Mulan live action movie mm-hmm. as it's being told now is being written and directed by a white person. Mm-hmm. 
and it's it's a feminist story and it's, and it's a white woman and i think she actually is going to be really great but at the same time you're like whoa yeah what? like how is that possible <laughs> these are all narratives that deserve to be told from a first person perspective yeah you know an i not a they because we've been otherized enough you know right. like, why can't we tell our own stories and so I, i've just been noticing that recently where there seems to be that gap and i've been trying to figure out how to bridge that gap and mm-hmm. i think the best way to do it sometimes is to write your own destiny mm-hmm. and say okay you know maybe we all need to band together and you know create something whether it be a production company like j school or a network like the whisper network mm-hmm. to be like yo like here's what's actually going on when you're in these rooms and you're in these meetings like let's stay awoke on like what's actually happening on how they talk about us, our people and our mm-hmm. stories. Yeah. And how do we then subvert that and be able to say like, take that power back and say, Hey, no, no, no. Like you can't make this without me. Like I, if you're going to make this and do it the right way, you gotta, you gotta empower maybe not me, but someone who's had my experience. Yeah. To someone really whose story that. that is. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's, it's right. And it's smart. And, the fact is that we need to get into those rooms to even have those conversations, you know, (laughs) where they'll be like, okay, we know we really, we really care about diversity. And you're like, I just saw this photo of all the writers you had on this panel and it's not diverse at all. Or like (laughs) these people are, you know, it's like, Oh, we're going to tell this story. And then the fix is to throw in a character of color, you know? And that's always, that's always a fun time. That always works (laughs) out really well. (laughs) Um, so, um, yeah, I I totally agree with you and I like appreciate that your the goal of your production company is to do that is to bring people together and you and I have had conversations about projects where it's like hey, you know, I I think I especially appreciate that as a person of color you're like I'm a person of color but that doesn't mean I represent all people of color. Yeah, you can't and I feel that. that same way when someone's like, "Hey yeah. Nikita, so like uh, you know, what do what would a black man think about this?" And I was like, "I don't know. I woke up this morning and I was a black woman." <laughs> I'm yeah. still one. <laughs> it's like I, I could throw it out an opinion, but right, maybe you should right, ask right. a black man. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Nikita, you and I were talking about working on a film together yeah. about a f- a group of black friends mm-hmm. traveling through the South during segregation, yeah, during Jim, during the era of Jim Crow, mm-hmm. and you know, for me, like I grew up in in a environment with a, with that was predominantly black Latino. Mm-hmm. I actually had very few Asian American friends growing up. And at the same time, it was a very rural environment. So we had a lot of sort of self-proclaimed rednecks. Mm-hmm. And that was that meant that all the people of color kind of banded together against mm-hmm. these sort of, you know, a- offensive white folk, <laughs> you will. And then, you know, in college, like you saw what our friend group was like, mm-hmm. it was predominantly black. And I feel like I have been very much in that culture, mm-hmm. but I don't take ownership of that culture. Right. And like. It's still at the end of the day, right? Like you still have to admit, like I'm not going to be the person who sits up here and and like write something that's not in my own voice or my own narrative and be like, well, you know what? I got a black friend, <laughs> and frankly, I've always had black friends, so I'm good, you know. But I've, I've I got my stamp, right? I've literally <laughs> watched like, that happen before, yeah, though, where yeah, someone's right. like, no, no, I got this. I have a black friend, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like. Uh, uh, you know you got it you got it you <laughs> it's know? also like super ironic because like whenever you meet I'll, I'll like put i'll just like do a small little commentary here like it's it's always funny because whenever i meet like there's a lot of you know a subculture of asian young men who try to 
perform blackness you try to mm. act black and whenever i meet them it's like abundantly clear they don't actually have black friends <laughs> right like they're even further removed from the black friend argument like yeah. they're, they're even further behind from that because you're like wow like you're truly just learning all this from like media yeah and then like we're trying to sort of appropriate it but but my my whole point was just the fact that like you know i, I think when you and i were working together on developing this project I, I one of the things i was trying to like come across from the beginning was like i could maybe have a produced by credit or a story by credit on this but i don't think i could have a written by credit on mm. it. you know i think i don't think i could be the screenwriter of it you know it's been brought to me i think this this is a story i understand um frankly because like you know ran- very randomly my my father actually grew up under segregation mm-hmm. in the south so he actually lived a lot of this but it's not my story you know mm-hmm. and i think that you have to be willing to say that like pass on it and be like there's someone else who's better to tell it yeah and that's such a hard thing i do i know for many people because of everything we've talked about today you might not have the money mm-hmm. and you want the money to make sure that you can survive in advance yeah uh and to pass on something and give it to someone else is potentially taking away a meal ticket and, mm-hmm. I, and I know that can be really tough yeah um, no definitely and I like I appreciate when we like had the conversation about the project you know and I like I love the pro- I love the <laughs> idea I, lo- I like I can't wait to work on it more yeah. um but uh, I guess my final question for you is just what is any last bit of advice that you would give someone who wants to be you one day well first of all I always think it's easier to have these conversations one-on-one mm-hmm. so I'm always happy to talk with people, you know, email me, add me on Twitter or Instagram, feel free to reach out. I try to make a habit of respond to every person who reaches out to me. I may not always be able to respond quickly, Mm -hmm. but I'm more than happy to try to have a one-on-one conversation, whether it be on email or phone, or if we're able to get together in person to talk about your specific situation. So I I do think these stories are all unique. Mm -hmm. Um, that being said, you know, I think that I really feel like I have benefited from a amazing community of people who I trust personally and professionally that I can go to and say, I'm having a crisis, but also send a script and be like, what do you really think about this? Mm-hmm. And I would encourage people to try to find other people to trust um, because I think that there's this narrative in this business where it's like, you can't trust anybody. People are going to stab you in the back. Yeah. And I've worked in environments like that, but I feel like I've been very protected and insulated by a great community of people. So I've never felt jaded and the luster of this industry, like the luster of Hollywood mm-hmm. has never worn off on me. Um, so I really think it's really, really important to make good friends, you know, and, and you can all survive and advance together. Mm-hmm. You kind of need each other to stick together. Um, because unless you were born into this, which a lot of people are, yeah, a lot of people are coming from a similar place of nowhere. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't think outside nest. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. Like they didn't think this was a path, and they got on a train from Omaha. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure they have trains from Omaha, Los Angeles. <laughs> it's a me- it's just a- making things up. It's a metaphor. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, simply put, make good friends, trust in those friends, share with them, 
and hold each other up. Yeah. Know? Dope. Do you want to share what your like social media stuff is? So if people want yeah. to yeah. slide into your DMs <laughs> and ask for some help. Sure. I'm across all platforms at Justin R. Ching. That's J-U-S-T-I-N-R-C-H-I-N-G. And you can email me justin at j-school.co. Nice. Thank you so much, Justin, for doing this. <laughs> Thanks Yay. for having me. Awesome. Bye. The Whisper Network is produced and distributed by Critical Frequency. Our producer is Amy Westervelt. Our theme music is by David Whited. This episode was recorded at Ford Studios in Los Angeles, and our sound engineer was Matthew Nelson. You can find The Whisper Network wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate and review the podcast. We'd love to know what you think. Plus, it helps us find new listeners. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.